Welcome to Son of a Preacher Man with Jonathan Martin, a new podcast that's all about finding beauty and brokenness, grace and grit, God and the ambiguity of the in-between. This episode is a fun conversation with journalist, author, and literary consultant Kathleen Falsani. Kathleen and Jonathan are good friends, and Kathleen shares stories of being a writer and author and being on the road with you two. We hope you enjoy. Well, the rock and roll has come to Tulsa for real. <laughs> Kathleen Falsani mm-hmm. is in the studio. That's shocking. I know. It's Oklahoma. What? Have you ever been to Oklahoma before? No, I have not. Of course you haven't. <laughs> why would you Why would you come here? Well, it's not that I have anything against Oklahoma. Sure. I just have never had occasion to be sure. in Oklahoma before. This is the God girl, everybody. I oh, mean, well. journalist, author of many wonderful books, um, extraordinary human, one of my favorite people in the world. That's Same. true. And I just got to hang out with you and your lovely family in Laguna Beach a few months ago, and that was fantastic. We loved having you. It was awesome. I'm so glad to have you here. This is so cool. Yeah. This is, you know, the band is nice, but it's really actually just the fun band, to see you in your, your natural band. environment. We're here to hang out. <laughs> but we are, tomorrow night is opening night of the tour, so that's pretty exciting. And, and we are talking, of course, about Hanson. No. <laughs> yes. Love you guys. They, we hope they're here. We, I, I was texting with Isaac today, Were so you? I hope they're, I hope, I hope, I think they're going to be here tomorrow night. I should hope so. Yeah. The Hanson brothers get invited mm, that, to the YouTube things. <laughs> yes. They're awesome. They're a big deal in Tulsa. I mean, they're a big deal in general, but in Tulsa, like they and, love them. And Women thoroughly still love lovely them. human beings. They are. They mm. are. I, Isaac actually, uh, hopefully he's going to be on the podcast in the next couple of weeks. Awesome. Talk about his journey into Eastern Orthodoxy. We were that texting is really about cool. that. So, yep. Yeah. A Hanson brother on Son of a Preacher Man. I think that's pretty there fantastic. Go. But so, I'm so, so glad you're here. Yeah, me too. So tomorrow night, well, you know, maybe we'll start there. Um, I don't know. There's so many things I want to talk to you about. Um, how are you feeling about tomorrow night, opening on the tour? I, how many I, shows have you been to? Have you, do you have a number? You know, I was thinking about that. And I did a count last year because somebody asked me. And it got embarrassingly high. Mm. Um, dozens at this point of of shows and of course we're talking about earth wind and fire no what, what's the band <laughs> you two yes. uh their experience and innocence tour opens tomorrow night in tulsa oklahoma yes. I mean, we still not said that clearly yet i and think we, we have it yeah. <laughs> it's after midnight in tulsa and the party is jumping <laughs> it's only 10 o'clock in california that's true but i'm usually in bed by 8 30 right. so. you are yeah, i know <laughs> so much fun <laughs> so i i'm uh i'm looking forward to, to what they're gonna do they always put on they're they're consummate hosts. Yes. You know they they try to to everything they do in their live shows is about the audience experience, and I'm not just saying that because I like them. Um, they really do. They they put so much thought into what the experience is going to be, and you know their creative partners Willie Williams um, mm-hmm. in particular. I mean, hearing him talk about how they're trying to set the stage literally. It's like he's creating sacred space. Mm. That's how they think about it. And so I know they're doing something very special with this tour, um, and I can't wait to, to see it. It's yeah. always exciting to see them because at the very beginning of a tour when they're still figuring stuff out yeah. and still experimenting. And You sent me that Rolling Stone piece about this tour, which is really yeah, great. But like, do, was... you, do you know a lot of spoilers about the tour already? Like, Do you know a lot of things, element-wise? I, I, 
Oh, nothing more than what's out there in public. Okay, I, that, that's my hand to God. Right. This comes out. They after don't tell the me anything either. Night, so, yeah. <laughs> no, but they really don't tell me yeah. anything either. I downloaded the app okay. and I've seen the White nice. Walker Bono thing that happens yeah, yeah. with that. It's kind of weird. Yeah, with the ice nipples and all that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> go to your app store and download the YouTube yes. experience. Yes. It's it's wild. Uh, yes. This is the augmented reality. Mm. Thing. I don't know what that means yet. Augmented reality. I think we're going to find out. We are going to find yeah, out. Yeah. I do expect reality to be augmented. Yeah, it often is. <laughs> it is as it often is. Yes, that's true. It always is. That's but right. in a new and digital way. Oh, speaking of you two, I meant to ask you hmm? who's your favorite band member? Stop it. <laughs> I can't tell you that publicly. I love them all equally. <laughs> Just like your children. It was that's right. <laughs> You can't give an answer to that question in public, can you? No, I cannot. It's not fair. It is not fair. <laughs> Tender hearts. We won't tell anyone. We won't tell anyone. Mm, but that kimono. Oh. <laughs> no, so I guess we have to leave that to the listeners to see if they can discern which YouTube band member Hashtags is known to rock a kimono in Silver public. Fox. Yes. yes. Yeah. They're all, but they're all they're all wonderful, and I love them equally. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a great answer do you want to say anything because that's a great story about how you first came to meet bono oh yeah okay so um well anybody who, who's paid any attention to me for any period of time knows that i'm a fan and i've been a fan since i was 12 like legit fan like posters on my wall yeah all the way through high, junior high school high school freshman dorm at wheaton the whole the whole thing um, there was a period of time when Bono and I looked a little bit alike. We both had sort of a bob thing going mm. on in like the late 80s mm. <laughs> rattle and hum era. And we did look a little bit alike back then. Um, we don't anymore. Well, I don't know. Um, we have the same hair color um, mm. now. But yeah, so <laughs> so amazing. I've been a fan for, I love you. I've, I've been a fan for most of my life. I'm of a of a medium sized vintage age wise and um back so I've followed them closely for years and part of my consciousness raising as a the, as a young person um, came about during Live Aid in nineteen eighty five eighty five that's right yeah um is that right eighty five eighty seven yeah, eighty five eighty five eighty five um the summer of eighty five and I remember uh, it's a, a story I've told many times but um. My that the that summer, my family had a cabana at a beach club in Connecticut on the on the on the Sound, on Long Island Sound, where I grew up, and we went there every day, and I stayed home the day of Live Aid, and my, my whole family went to the beach and were gone all day, and then came back, and I was still sitting there in the same position I'd been in in the same pajamas since four o'clock in the morning, watching it live from Wembley. And this was back in the day when, you know, before digital programming, we had a TV guide and it just said, it's going to be on from here to here. And here are some of the bands. And I knew U2 was going to be on. I just didn't know when. So I sat there all day long and watched the whole thing live. And it was, you know, an epiphany moment for me. Mm. And so I love their music, love their story. Um, my family's Irish, all of that stuff. And then the faith element that was there, that was very obvious to me from the very beginning meant a lot to me um so fast forward a few decades and i was following the work that bono had started doing around the millennium um with drop the debt 
And when he started doing more work around Africa, I was playing, paying close attention. I would write about Africa when I could. This is when I was a newspaper reporter and a columnist in Chicago. Um, and I was a religion reporter and columnist, so that was sort of my purview. But I covered it broadly. I basically did whatever I wanted to do and, you know, found the God parts that were in it. So one day I'm sitting there in the newsroom at the Chicago Sun-Times, which is now a Trump hotel and condo. Kill me. Um, so awful. So awful. I had a river view and now that this is exactly where the Trump sign is. It's awful. Um, oh, Jesus help us. Um, I'm sitting there and I get a phone call from my best friend's sister, Allison, who was working at Live Nation at the time. And she had was in like the writer department. So like, you know, Green Day gets this many green jelly beans or whatever it is in the writer's department. She had just seen a writer come through for a bus tour that Bono was doing. And I was like, uh, this is 2002. I'm like, he doesn't, they don't, they haven't gone on buses anywhere in like 20 years. What are you talking about? That's that, that can't be possible. Um, but she insisted. And so I started making a few phone calls. And I found out that, in fact, he was getting on a bus in Nebraska, almost as weird as starting a tour in Tulsa, um, on World AIDS Day and was going to be driving across the American Midwest, basically trying to get the evangelical church to pay attention to the AIDS crisis in Africa. And I was like, I need to be on that bus. And I am persistent when I want to do something. And I basically um, persisted until I talked my way onto the bus. And that's how we met on World AIDS Day 2002 after a church service in Lincoln, Nebraska. It was the first time we met. Mm. Um, and I traveled with them on that whole experience, which was about ended up being about 10 days, all told, and was traveling under the auspices of Religion Reporter. Um, so when I asked to be on the tour, I said, I want to talk to him about faith because I know that's why he's doing this. I've been paying attention since I was a little girl and I know that, and he hadn't talked about his faith publicly in a lot of years because yeah. he kept getting lambasted from, you know, either he was holier than thou or he was doing it wrong or whatever. He couldn't win, still kind of can't, but it was, you know, it was hard. And so he trusted me enough to let me come and know that I was going to be talking about all these issues, but also wanting to talk about it through lens of faith. And that's what we did. And we, clicked and um see the world through a similar faith lens and we're wherein grace is the central part of it mm. and so that was 15 years ago and i've remained persistent <laughs> in uh staying in touch and i have been a number of years ago i was invited to be on an advisory board for girls and women at the one campaign which was a great honor um and i've been able to do some work with one um in an official capacity rather than just covering them in the news and have traveled with them. My son has traveled with, with them. Um, so yeah. And so here we are. Here we are. That's <laughs> awesome. It's, you know, it's interesting. As soon as you said that about having a similar worldview and the first thing that came to my mind was, I mean, it's grace, you know, that really yeah, is, that's grace. it. That's it. Because your life, and you wrote a one, you wrote a beautiful book about grace. I, I did. Um, well, I, I think it was, it's my favorite book of, all of the books that I've it's written gorgeous. so far. It's gorgeous. I love that book. It was called Sin Boldly, A Field Guide for Grace, and it came out. Um, I cannot believe this, but it's 11 years ago now. Wow. It's crazy. Um, no, wait. 10 years ago. 10 okay. years ago, August. I can't do math in my head. Um, 
And yeah, and the, if you read that book, you'll see a few quotes directly from him. But if you've been paying attention to them long enough, you'll see that there's a lot of mm. a lot of the U two theology in there, because it was it was formative for me um, as a young person. Yeah. And I mean, I heard it the very first song I ever heard sitting in my friend Rob Lunetta's living room in Trumbull, Connecticut, when I was in seventh grade, one day after school, was Gloria. Oh, interesting. That was the first. That was wow. the very first. I, I remember it. I can mm. tell you practically. I can't tell you what I was wearing. Although, no, yes, I could because it was my school uniform. But I could describe his parents' sunken living room and like the wife, the hi-fi set and everything. Um, because it was the first epiphany I think I ever had. Mm. Where it's like my I heard the sounds and then I heard the the Latin from the mass. I was Catholic until I was about 10. Um, so I recognized it, but it was, it sounded so different. And I, and I couldn't have told you this at the time when I was 12 or 13 years old, but I know in hindsight, it was, I wanted to know how I could have permission to do the same thing in my life that mm. they were doing. Wow. If you could be a Christian and sing about God and have it sound like that, mm. What could I do? Hmm. So that's fascinating. I've never heard you say that. That's mm -hmm. beautiful. Yeah. This there are about four questions at minimum, just based on so many things I want to know. But talking about you two and your connection to the band makes me think um, you just got back from Ireland. I did. I went to Ireland. For, I took my mom. So my my grandmother Nellie Brady, Nellie Brady Page, came to America on the last day of December, nineteen twenty, and. My mother was born in 1933, and my grandmother died in childbirth in 1935 and never went back, never went home. And my mom, I've been many times. I went back for the first time when I was 23, and my grandmother was one of 21 children. <laughs> so I have lots of family and cousins still over there um, and went back and connected with them and have been in touch with them ever since. But my mom, who's 85, had never been. And so I took her. And she got to meet some of her first cousins and see the place that her mother was from and her mother, who she doesn't really have very many memories of because she was so young when mm -hmm. she died. And I, you know, this is my second trip to Ireland this year, and I am going again in August to cover the Pope's trip. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> that, wow. just, that just came together. Um, very excited about that I for Sojourners that. Magazine, uh, so, the fine folks at sojo.net. Um so yeah, it was a really winsome, tender, difficult, beautiful time mm. in my favorite place. Mm. It is an enchanted place in so many ways. It it really is. It thin is thin spaces there. It, oh, so many thin spaces, and I mean that's where they invented thin spaces. And it's a it's a broody, moody, wild. Um, unfettered place the west of ireland is what i love the yes. most i'm from i'm not from the west of ireland um but we i'm from cavan which is about 45 minutes west of dublin in the sort of the lake district if you, if you will it's more like west virginia but still it's beautiful um but not a lot of tourists go there unless you're a right. trout fisherman yeah. um and then we went we were a couple days there and then we went straight to the west because that's my my most favorite. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's lovely. The Wild Atlantic Way is what they call it. This mm. route up and down the West Coast. There is a wildness to it. Oh, sure. For mm. sure. I mean, Ireland is crazy beautiful. And they don't have all of the, 
Ooh, careful. Don't step there. Oh, we're going to get sued if you did. There are no guardrails. It's like, that is a cliff. If you get too close to the edge of the cliff, you're going to get blown off the cliff, and that's on you. Right. <laughs> but we were staying out in this place um, called Skelligs, way out in the, the f- westernmost part of County Kerry. Um, very, very, very remote. And at the end of the little lane where we were staying, there were the ruins of a monastic site, one of the oldest monastic sites in Ireland, and a castle. And you... There, you just walk up. There's no docent. There's no gate. There's no sign. <laughs> you just, mm. and I, I had a castle to myself one afternoon, just climbing around. Oh, I get much, I get way more brave and courageous when I'm traveling than I do at home in California or anywhere else. Um, and yeah, I mean, I could have just tipped off the top of that thing and nobody would have found me for a few mm. days. But, and I kind of love that about yeah. it. It's just, it's just rugged and beautiful and mm-hmm. wild. Mm-hmm. Mm. Do you, um, this was just a drive-by, but when you said something about growing up Catholic until you were, what, like 10? Mm-hmm. I know this is something that intrigues me about you, like, uh, and that I've, that one of many places where I feel a sense of connection with your story. Like, in terms of ecclesiology, like, you're, uh, you're all over the place. Uh, yeah, I am the, been all I'm over. the United Nations of, of, of Christendom, um, so yeah, so I'm I'm half Irish and half Italian. Grandchild child of immigrants on both sides. Hmm. So everybody is Catholic. <laughs> and the only people who aren't Catholic are my immediate family. My mother, my fa- my father who's now passed, my brother, and my husband who calls himself a collapsed Catholic and my son and I. Um everybody else on both my family of origin and the family I married into are Catholic. Hmm. And super Catholic. In, in some instances. I mean, I had my, my mother's great, my mother's aunt, my great aunt, Sister Mary Charles, was the Sister of Mercy, the habit, the whole thing. And she was like a fixture in my home growing up. I'm like, really, really Catholic. But around about 1980, my mom went, I think it was my mother, she went to a Bible study and became a born-again Christian. Hmm. And then my father did. And the Bible study was run by Southern Baptists in Southern Connecticut, wow. <laughs> just outside New York City, where I'm from. It was the weird. I, I might as well have been a Martian. I mean, it was the strangest thing to be a Southern Baptist in Southern Connecticut. Um, but I, that's the church I grew up in from about the age of ten until I I started when I enrolled at Wheaton my freshman year. I was a Southern Baptist. That was my. We sat by denominations that semester <coughs> bless you thank you we sat by denominations that semester in chapel every every semester there was a different way of ordering your birthday or where you were from that was denominations and i i think about looking down the row from my freshman year at wheaton and i don't think anybody in that row is still southern baptist interesting <laughs> and most and many of us well i <coughs> bless you thank i you. would call myself a I'd like to aspire to call myself a Christian. Let's put it that way. But a, a I was going to ask you which anywhere. table would you sit at now? Oof. Um, uh, I don't know. I'm as comfortable and uncomfortable in a Catholic church, in a Baptist church, in an Anglican church, in an Episcopal church, in a, um, a Black Baptist church on the south side of Chicago. I, I, I'm kind of. I'm stealing that line from Bono, equally comfortable and uncomfortable in a lot of ecclesial settings. But so I started out 
Catholic, Southern Baptist, went to Wheaton. It, it was involved at Jesus People for a time, yeah. um, you know, in my hippie phase. Um, I still have my Easter tie-dye from, <laughs> from sophomore year. Yeah, still have it. Um, but at some point, you know, sauntered toward Canterbury. And although I have never been confirmed in the, in the Episcopal Church, that was, that's the place I probably feel the most at home. Mm. But that is not the church that I, well, I don't attend anywhere at the moment, but the, mm. that's not the church that we've attended what, since we've been in Laguna largely. We were involved in a beautiful little church called Little Church by the Sea that's, I think it's evangelical free technically, okay. but it's just sort of an amalgam of things, but it's mostly just a really loving place with a wonderful oh, pastor good. named Jeff Tacklin who I adore. So, did I answer what you asked? You did. You did beautifully, yeah. <laughs> rambling. Well, no, it's not rambling. This is the stuff, I mean, you know, most of our journeys are. <laughs> That's what our actual stories are, always yeah. rambling. It's a journey. Um, but since since this is your moniker, I feel like I certainly should ask, like, how did you come to be known as the God Girl? Oh, see, this is nice. It's coming back, right back around to, to you, too. So, remember that trip I was telling you about yeah. back in 2002? So, I came off the... And when I was on the trip... My my editors at the Sun Times had the f- presence of mind to realize that in Chicago religion is basically another professional sport, and everybody. I mean, it's, it's the the Catholic Church is a behemoth in town, but it's a very actively religious place. Yeah. I mean, the, there are people who are you know Muslims and Buddhists and atheists who live in neighborhoods, and if you ask them where they live in, they'll tell you the name of the Catholic parish because that's what the neighborhood is called. And so they would run my stuff off the front page a lot of the time, um, which was tremendous, especially for a tabloid sized newspaper. Um, So when I was on this heart of America tour with data, which is the organization that predates the the one campaign, it was running off the front page and it was like, everybody was sort of following along until we got to Chicago and he went to, uh, Willow, he met with Bill Hybels at Willow Creek and then he had an event at my alma mater and it was the first time I had been back to Wheaton's Chapel since I graduated. Oh, interesting. And it was 10 years later. I had a, a lot of um, complex feelings about my alma mater I, mm. for a long time. Um, and I still do. I, I'm very grateful to have gone to Wheaton, but Wheaton makes me crazy as well. Um, anyway, so I came back off the road. I'd been gone for, you know, 10 days or two weeks, whatever it was. And as you do as a reporter in Chicago of a certain vintage on a Friday night, you go to a tavern and I walked in and in the back of the tavern was my friend, Bill Zaney, who is about as tall as you. You might be slightly taller than he is, but he's tall guy. Um, and is a magazine, wonderful magazine writer and author and just brilliant all around mensch. Love him. Um, and has a booming voice also not unlike yourself when you want to project you can and from the back of the bar comes this classic chicago accent hey god girl and it stuck huh bar full of journalists and bill called me god girl and it's sort of been that's been it ever since that's great i love that yeah Wow. Legitimate. I came about it, you know, legitimate. I don't know how much longer I can get away with the girl part of that, but. <laughs> You're girlish. You bring the girl. I bring the girl with two R's. Um, I'm curious. We, not to try to recapture something, but we, since we were here hanging out, and it's been 
such a fun night already and a fun couple of days that we've got seeing you two on the road like um you were talking a little bit before about kind of in this season of all the I'll put it politely political ambiguity all mm. things that are happening and a certain kind of despair she said reaching for her wine yes <laughs> indeed. indeed but talking about kind of coming around like uh two things that bring you hope right now which it sounds like you are in a more hopeful place i'm curious as to what that looks like yeah i i i, I it's what is that faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen there's no reason why i feel like i should be hopeful hmm. given the 20 seconds i spent on twitter after i landed here i mean yeah. just like oh my god every day um but it gives me hope uh, what's kept me buoyant? Yeah. And it was a very difficult season for my family last year. We, my son is, is African, and um, we live in a, in a lovely community in Southern California that's fairly progressive for where it is, Laguna Beach, and we experienced some gnarly racism. I still can't get over that story there. That's so strange. I know. I know. I know. And it's gross and horrible. And um, I, yeah, and I was very angry. For a very long time. And somehow, you asked me a little bit ago, like, what's changed? Actually, I don't know what has changed, except that this pall has just sort of lifted. And some of it is my son is just an extraordinary young man and um, is a very gracious and graceful person. And the way he has navigated all of this is we, my husband and I have been trying to take the lead from him. And I think we were far more angry about what happened than he was. Um, but he had, you know, the, the first nine years of his life were very insecure and, and quite fraught in a way that any any kind of struggle that most of us as Americans, especially white privileged Americans have, does pales in comparison to what he lived through. Um, and so he doesn't kind of sweat some of this stuff the same way his dad and I do. Um, but in the wake of the last general election and and then six weeks later this crap that went down at my house that was tar my my son was targeted at my home and 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 there was some aftermath that kept going a few other things that happened that were even more troubling after that um what i turned to was uh comedy and poetry mm. <laughs> in fact on election day, I was in Arizona. I had driven down the night before at the request of my friend Jen Bluestein, who was the one who let me on the bus for the data tour. This is all coming back around again. She was the original uh, communications director for the One Campaign. Um, she asked if she had any, she's out in Washington, and she asked if she had any friends in California who could drive down and do some get out the vote stuff. And because I don't work for a newspaper anymore, I am allowed to do such things. And so I said, yes, I can do that. So I drove down and did spent the day getting out the vote. Didn't matter who they were voting for, just getting it out. And then went to the ballroom of some hotel in downtown Phoenix for the Democratic um, victory party that turned out to not be that. And I woke up the next morning after having not slept very much and had to drive back, you know, six or seven hours, whatever it was, back to, and I, I just, could, I couldn't deal. I didn't know what I was going to do, and I couldn't listen to music, and I knew I couldn't listen to the radio, 
And so I went to Audible and I downloaded Amy Poehler's book, mm-hmm. which was exactly like six hours and 37 minutes, which is how long it took me to get home. Something yeah. like that. So it, it, Amy, bless you, Amy, got me home in one piece. And I've leaned into, um, I've always loved comedy and comedians, but I've leaned into it hard. Patton Oswalt, man, what a gift he is in particular. Um, so that and poetry... I've always loved poetry, but it was like the only thing I could read for a while. And what do you think about comedy, comedy and poetry in particular? That where, where you get that sort of transcendence? You know, you I've been of. thinking about that, and I don't exactly know. Poetry is just—I mean, I love words, and I—I'm—I I'm write, and I—I I appreciate people who are beautiful wordsmiths and who can. Um, write things that inspire and elevate and transcend but there's something about poetry that it's a different muscle I can't write it and I'm fascinated by it and um I don't know it's it's kind of like you know music and film are the vehicles that get me fastest to where I need to go emotionally and poetry does that spiritually Mm -hmm. and I can't exactly tell you why but it does and comedy is, uh, I always say, they're, they're joy bringers and light bearers. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And uh, I think about Sarah Silverman. Mm-hmm. And we were talking earlier out on the deck here about um, the redeeming qualities of the internet, such as they are few and far between. Yes. And I thought about a moment where, like, it's worth having the internet just to have watched Sarah Silverman respond to the guy who trolled her right after Christmas. Um, and instead of responding snarkily or funnily, she asked him what was going on in his life and extended this incredible grace to him and actually helped him. He was somebody who was in great pain. And she's a comedian yeah. who, you know, doesn't believe in, I don't know if she's an atheist. I don't want to put words in your mouth, Sarah, but you know, doesn't believe the same stuff I might believe about Jesus or other yeah. things, and but was behaving more Christ-like than most people. Mm. Um, and you know, laughter is—I think Anne Lamott. I'm going to steal this from Annie. I think she said, "Laughter is carbonated holiness." Mm, yeah, I love that quote. And and that is true. And to be able to laugh when things are so dark, when you're not necessarily laughing at someone, but just. Mm-hmm with someone i don't know so those two things and my kid gives me hope he gives me great hope and my friends give me hope you know in general i mean your son's story in particular right like there's there's a real special grace on that whole story yeah yeah just a very embodied kind of grace literally so yeah i'll give you the 10 cent version of how we met our son we were um it was in 2007. I was working on the book about grace. And uh, uh, about a year before that, we had won a raffle for a two-week trip to Africa. And, yeah, that's actually a thing. And while I was, I was starting to, ha- to have these intentional um, adventures to see where grace would show up in the wild, I'm making air quotes, so I went to Ireland, to my favorite place in Ireland that I always go back to, that to try to figure out why and what that might have to do with grace, if anything. And 
um, I went down to the Gulf Coast of Mississippi, and this was a couple years after um, Katrina to Bay St. Louis, and um, talked to a, a fellow down there named Jean LaRue, who's a Presbyterian minister who founded a church called Lanyap, which is that wonderful Cajun term that means a little bit extra that you can't pay for. So it's like that extra handful of shrimp or, or that piece of candy or whatever it is. Um, I went and spent time with my best good friend, John Michael Pillow, in Yazoo City, Mississippi. And we went to Graceland together. Um, and that was a, a road trip that was about going to Graceland, but it was really about the grace of our friendship. And um, I went to Montana and spent all of Passover and Easter with the then only resident rabbi in Montana, who's since become like a second father to me and is my son's um, Jewish grandfather. Um, and so round about getting back from that trip, I think to Mississippi, Maury, my husband said, well, why don't we take that Africa trip? It was our 10th anniversary. And he's like, you know, if, if Grace is showing up in these other places, just imagine what it'll do in Africa. And so we did. And it was a trip to East Africa. Um, but we added on a little bit extra to do a few things for our anniversary and also to go to Malawi, um, to visit, uh, an organization that we had help support a few years before that and while we were there in the middle of our Africa trip um, we spent about 30 well about 72 hours I guess in Malawi at the end of the first day we had spent a bunch of time with um, some teenage and adolescent boys um, at a sort of drop-in center for street children in, in Malawi at the time and still largely the same um, there are a lot of kids who don't have parents because there are a lot of people my age who just don't exist anymore because of HIV and AIDS. Um, so there are a lot of orphans. And there is sort of a cultural thing against adoption, even if you were in, even if you were a Malawian, it, it was sort of not done to adopt somebody who wasn't related to you. Um, so this is, that was the organization that we had supported. And at the end of this day of meeting with all these beautiful boys and hearing their stories and answering their questions, we were going back to Pedro's Motel in Blantyre, Malawi, where we were staying, and our guide said, do you mind if we stop and meet one more kid? He's just kind of special. And that's all he told us. And we, I've thought about that moment a million times where we were in the van, and all I wanted to do was go back to the hotel and have a beer and look through the photos and talk about what we experienced. But we said... Why not? Sure. And about a half hour later, we were at the side of the road in this little clutch of mud and waddle huts. And the guy who was showing us around called something. And out comes this little boy. And uh, his name was Vashko. And we quickly f realized uh, that he was very sick. He was, he, he was living, he had been living on the streets for quite a while after both of his parents passed. And he'd been reunited with some extended family, and they were able to tell us that he had a hole in his heart. And in the last the last day or so that we were there, we tried to get him some medical assistance and tried to get people to intervene, and it was clear to us that that was not going to happen. That the resources were just not there. The will might have been there, but this was just the needs were, were overwhelming, and we had to leave, and we had to leave him behind, and it made me insane with the closest thing, I guess, to righteous indignation I've ever experienced. Mm -hmm. And we were flying back to Tanzania, and 
I I lost it on the plane. Like wh- like I think one of the the co-pilot came back to ask me if I was all right because I was crying. I was so angry. And then I realized, I think and this is bringing it back to the guys who are playing here this week in Tulsa. Um I remembered something Bono had told me on that trip back in 2002 where I had asked him um sort of the devil's advocate question, well pe- there's so much need in Africa and isn't it throwing good money after bad and where do you even start and he said, Kathleen, we can't do everything, but what we can do, we must do. And I thought, okay, I'm not independently wealthy, and I'm not Madonna, and I'm not a policymaker, and I'm not a, a doctor, but I do have a platform, and I can tell a story, and so I did. And the readers of the Sun-Times were beautiful and responded, and um, several hospitals and a, and a bunch of surgeons said, the next day, like my column came out on a Friday and by Saturday afternoon, they had said, if you can get him here, we'll fix him. We don't know what it is exactly that's wrong, but we're guessing that we can make it better. And so uh, it was nine years ago last week that he arrived for heart surgery. It took 18 months to get him to the States. And uh, he had the heart surgery. We were his medical hosts. Um, and you know, we were not intending to adopt. You couldn't basically adopt from Malawi, but while he was recovering from heart surgery, Madonna got her second child from Malawi out, um, in a high court of Malawi ruling that, uh, overruled a lower court decision that said that she couldn't adopt her daughter, Mercy Chafundo, who was from the same town as my son. And when that happened, it made case law. And so we were able to, um, to adopt him, so he stayed. And all of that is to say, you asked about Grace, so yes. when we met him, he was wearing a t-shirt with a dove and the word Chisomo on it. Chisomo was the name of the organization, and we didn't know, I believe at the time, but we, we learned afterwards that Chisomo was the Chichewa word for Grace. Mm. So I think the last sentence of that book um, and boldly was a cha- chapter about him meeting him he hadn't come to the states yet when the book came out but i mm. said i went to africa looking for grace and boy did i find it wow it's amazing it's a long story but it's that's ama- the short it's version a, it's a beautiful story yeah so that's it's the best it. story i know because i had nothing to do with it i just got out yeah. of my own way long enough for the spirit to move and make the connections that we would never have made on our own and isn't that the, the task really is just kind of getting out of our own way to yeah learn? let such things happen absolutely Hmm. absolutely it is you know i read a book when i was at a student at wheaton i think my freshman year john v taylor i think was the author's name called the go between god where we're in and and i'd never give this I, i think i probably give him short shrift but the idea was that the holy spirit is as actively present between people as it is in people and that that's what makes the connections that we would just never make on our own. Yeah. And that's what happened there. Yeah, that's so good. That's yeah. so good. Um, not to make a hard turn here, but I just, this is also wonderful. I just wouldn't want to go without talking about this at By all. By the way, I'm the only one in the room right now, and I'm, there are four of us, that is actively oh, all the way awake. <laughs> I feel awake. I feel awake. Mike, Will, are y'all awake? <laughs> It is twelve forty-five. Did you say you've been up since four? Yeah. Do I not but seem it's awake? Seven. <laughs> I feel awake. <laughs> no, you know you you sound awake. That's all that really okay, matters. That's right. 
Awake. And awake into grace. It is a little close in here, as we would say back in New true. England. It's a little yeah, close. A little close. A little warm in here. It a little bit of red bit, wine. <laughs> and and the hour is at hand. Um I just with all of this, I wouldn't want to go without a plug for I'm so excited about your new podcast. Aren't you, you sweet? We're yeah. on a podcast talking about another podcast, and then we're That's doing right. a podcast together on yes. a road trip. Yeah, I'm excited uh, about being on your podcast. Yeah, so we, I, uh, my Lost best Paul friend Nation. Kelly Kelly Anderson Weber, um, who's been my best friend for 30 years, um, was my we met just before we started Wheaton together years and years ago. Um, we started a few months ago a podcast. Well, it's actually an audio magazine called The Schwell. Fancy fancy yeah because we have to be different so um rather than uh what we do is we take a theme it's once it's fortnightly ish and and we do uh we drop a bunch of episodes at once on a theme and we're having a great time and it's really really um gorilla compared to the production value you're you're hearing on this podcast oh i don't think that at all <laughs> no what it's you guys are doing is so cool. super true but we're having fun and we don't know what we're doing um but it's it's a lot of fun. So the idea, the Schwell name comes from the Dame Julian of Norwich. All shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be Schwell. Um, and it's loosely gathered around the idea of ancient spiritual wisdom and tools for modern contemplative living. I love that. I love that as a title. That's Kelly. Wonderful. Yeah. That quote, like that's one that you kind of hear it and just never leaves you alone. Mm-mm. It's haunting. It's there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Keeps you going. Down deep. So good. Well, <laughs> hey, I know it's... <laughs> so anyway, more about me. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. And it's like, it's close to one of the more... Thank you for being willing to do this, like in the middle of the night. I love so it. Are you cool. kidding me? We've got two U2 shows now to look forward to. I I'm excited about that. It's going to be great. We're all going to get out of our own way with Hologram Bono. It'll with Hologram awesome. Bono. I'm intrigued by this. White Walker Ice Nipples. Yeah. <laughs> yeah You'll see what I mean. White Walker Ice Nipples. <laughs> 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 <That's> so awesome. <laughs> uh, Please not edit out that snort. We kid well. because we love. <laughs> Keep that snort. <laughs> 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 well, Kevin, it's such a privilege to have you on. Thank you for being able to do this. It's an honor. And you know I think the world of you. And I love so you too, honey. For, uh, I do love you. I'm so thankful for our friendship. And great to have you in Tulsa. Look at you this And is... you too, all together. Same time. And Mike. Mike Ogan. Yay! The one campaign shout-outs all around. It's all about the love. Mm -hmm. It is. It is all about the love. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Like an LP, each episode is divided into side A and side B. Side A could be a sermon, a conversation with a guest, but will always introduce some idea. Side B will always be a creative exploration of that idea through music, question answering with listeners, or quirky rabbit trails off of Side A for people who want the deep cuts, not just the singles. No matter who you are or where you come from, we hope this podcast will be a resource in helping you come to know the love that calls you by your true name. For more, go to jonathanmartinwords.com and sign up for our email list. Have a good day.